You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Welcome to Radical Australia Community Radio 3CR. This program is produced by the world's greatest producer. I'm forced to say that because I'm in the same studio as Kelly Whitworth. How art thou, Kelly? I'm really well, Joe. How are you today? Oh, don't ask me. What would you ask a septuagenarian how they're well? No, I'm not well. I've got pains. I've got a headache. But I understand. Life's getting you down. No, bullshit. I love life. I love it. It's just that my body's letting me down, not life. Now, on the other end of the phone, we have Kelly's guest. Now, Kelly, you've been to North Northcote, have you? And you found this guest for us, did you? That's right. Ah. Is this Louise? It is. Are you there, Louise? Yeah. Yeah. You're on air, Louise. North Northcote. North Northcote. Are you from North Northcote? Uh, very far North Northcote. Uh, Castlemaine. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I'm living in Castlemaine at the moment. I've got to, I've had to return to the suburban lifestyle because of my ankle. So, yeah, oh. I suppose I am in North and Northgate. <laughs> well, this is Louise Cooper, a woman I met some time ago, but we won't go into that, will we, Louise? Oh, we've met in passing. In passing, ships in the night, basically. Yep. So. Louise, do you understand what Radical Australia is all about? Uh, ish. It's about you. Yeah, yep. It's not about Kelly. It's not about me, although I try to make it about me. It's all about you. So, yep. what year were you born? 1987. What are you doing on this program? You've got a life to lead. Is it, the, is it the injured ankle that's kind of slowed you down a bit, is it? Oh, definitely. So yeah. Tell us about the ankle. I'm, I'm fascinated. Um, so it's a long story is that I've got autism. Right. Um, and every now and again I get the stupid idea in my head that I'm going to drink a bottle of alcohol and try and socialise. Uh-huh. So I did that at Christmas time and fell down a pit. A pit? Um, yeah, well, living out uh, Denali Way off grid, there's pits all over the place. 
um, old moans and that sort of thing. Um, and I sprained three out of four ligaments in my right ankle, so now yeah. I'm stuck in suburbia for a little while before I take off again. You're very lucky that you're not a quadriplegic or got brain damage. How deep is this pit? Oh, <laughs> uh, it wasn't too bad. wasn't too bad. All right. Okay. So, you were born in Victoria? I grew up in South Northcote. South Northcote, the real Northcote. Oh, Fairfield. Fairfield. Clifton Hill. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit what? Your parents were renting, were they? Oh, uh, no. No? No, no, houses were much cheaper back then. That's right. You get you could get a house. When I first came to Melbourne in 1976, you get a house in Clifton Hill for about $35,000. Now you've got you multiply it by 40, and that's today's price. Yeah, well, I bought one of the cheapest blocks of land in uh, Victoria, what, three, four years ago now? That was $17,000, and I reckon I'd get 64 at least by now. Right. I won't ask you so where. that's how far they've gone up since then. <laughs> yeah, I won't ask you. There's squatters everywhere. You never know where they could be. You know, they, yeah. may, they may pitch a tent on your little cheapest block of land in uh, Victoria. So oh, what was well, life? I can pitch one next door. Right. So you, were your parents born here in Australia or were they born overseas? Uh, Australia. Right. And they're Melbourne people? Uh, yes. Oh, sort of. My my mum was and she's now down Bansdale. Oh, we'll forgive her for that. So what, any brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, I've got... Three, oh, well, I've got two brothers and one sister and two half-sisters. Right. That's a nice blended family. I assume you yeah. don't get on with anybody, do you? Oh, yeah, I do. You do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've got a pretty close relationship with my older sister. Oh, that's lovely. And did you share a bed when you were kids? Because, you know, it was difficult getting enough rooms for the kids in those days. Um, no. No? You had your own bedroom? Bedrooms, yeah. Oh, but you shared the bedroom, but, but you each had your own bed. Well, that's that's that's. Yeah. And uh, primary school was it Clifton Hill, Fairfield, Northcote? Uh, primary school, I went to St Anthony's, which was horrible. St Anthony's. Yeah. So, did, were you one of these little kiddies that were taken to church every Sunday by your parents? No, no, definitely not. So, why did they send you to St Anthony's? There's some good public schools in Fairfield, Northcote in those days. Yeah, well, I ended up going to Fairfield for grade six, and it was fantastic. Mm. Um, it was one of the best years of my schooling, so I don't know why I went to Catholic school, really. I mean, I did get reconciled and confirmed, but right. um, and baptised. But, um, yeah, we certainly weren't a weekly church-going family. Uh, um, no. Yeah. I remember when I was confirmed, I had a nice pair of black pants... What were you wearing? Were you wearing those white dresses that the girls wore to show their oh, no. Uh, purity? No, I think we were a far more goth family. I was wearing crushed burgundy velvet. Crushed burgundy velvet for your christening. That, what do you reckon about that, Kelly? You're laughing there. I reckon there. that's pretty awesome. It is awesome. The priest's eyes would have fallen in the alt, would have fallen on the ground. Crushed burgundy. Who picked that out for you? Oh, I would have, and my mum would have sewn it up. Yeah. Right, right. 
So are your parents still alive? Yep. Oh, so you can't say bad things about them. I assume they're wonderful parents. Like you said, I can't say bad things about them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, they're still alive. I can see yeah, you. you. know, like growing, uh, growing up with autism, um, yeah. yeah, like females generally aren't diagnosed until after their kids have been, and so right. I was in a, you know, a different world and they didn't know it. And mm. Let's lack go. of communication and mm. lack of societal mm. understanding all leads to mm. some not very good times. Well, I've been trying to keep away from the A word. You've mentioned it twice. <laughs> All right. Takuatunga is better. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you tell me the spectrum. Where on the spectrum are you and what is the spectrum for all us lay listeners? Well, the word Takuatunga is a Maori word which mm. has been coined with consultation from the autism community in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not Maori. Um but it means in their own time and space, and I think that is absolutely the one hundred percent best way to um, sort of talk about autism. I don't think there's you know this part of the spectrum or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I run arts projects, and I'm currently leading a team of five artists. But at the same time, sometimes I can't talk. So you know, what's that? Well, you realise this is live radio, Louise. I'm not going to be... I'm going to get upset if you can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) We're laughing. (laughs) There's nothing like dead air. Yeah. I think last week on Talkback with Alex, we had a minute's silence for the three uh, three million Vietnamese and the 526 um, Australians who died during the Vietnam War and the staff from up the front raced up because an alarm went off. So if you if you don't talk to us, the alarm's going to go off. You realise that, Louise? So we're going to be in big trouble. Kelly can fill in for me. Oh, I don't know. I don't think she's qualified. I mean, she's she lives in her own time, but her own her own world, Kelly. So did you feel you were different to other kids in primary school? Uh, yes. How did you? What? Yeah, how? And all they did too. Yeah, and they um, felt you were different. How? How? Uh, that's a bit of a tough question, isn't well, it? Well, you're, um, you're on Radical Australia. We ask tough questions. <laughs> I don't know. I just sort of kept my own company and um, got teased a lot. Right. People think you were a nerd, a savant, or did they just think you were just a, you know, frumpy little girl? Oh, well, um, my vocabulary... You know, like half of them didn't understand really. Right. And now I see that coming out in my own five-year-old and is turning phrases that it's like, you're talking like me, you're not talking like a five-year-old. What's going on here? Right. Um, mm. So, yeah, I suppose, you know, like I had an interest in philosophy and a lot of them didn't get that they were still playing with their toys. Right. And you'd gone beyond that. Um, Hmm. So, Fairfield, Grade 6, why was it such a great year? Um, I think just because the teacher was relatable. Um, And we were sort of put into different groups based on how we were 
understanding different subject matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were working at our own levels, but within a group of people that were working at our level. Um, and, yeah, I remember one spelling test. Um, there was the word Uzma Pupsarader on the test. Which, what? Could you repeat that word, please? Uzma Pupsarader. Right. What does that mean? I'm, I'm ignorant. I don't think it means anything. No, I don't think I, think I so either. The, um, I mean, I, I was thinking maybe it means... Yeah, I think I think maybe it means if you had too much ouzo, you get poops. <laughs> <laughs> and aerator means there's a lot of air coming out at the same yeah, time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, but your parents didn't think there was anything different about you, did they? Or were they just they were too busy making a buck in order to keep the kids afloat? Uh, oh, I think they knew that there was something different about me. I don't think that the level of autism understanding at that age, at that, yeah, at that time, was great enough for them to know that that was what was different about me. And I don't know that, um, you know, like... It was only added to the DSM index in the 80s. And then it um, was only something that white male boys had and they grew out of it, was Mm. the understanding. Mm. So, you know, I was a girl. You sure? Um, I think so. Oh, good. You've had a child, (laughs) so that helps. But look, look, we don't don't use acronyms on this program because most of our listeners, like Kelly and myself, we're pretty stupid. So what's this DSM index? You should know better than that. No, 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 no. I just ask questions. We have millions of listeners out there who are listening to you and they want to know what DSM is. Diagnostic something manual? (laughs) Um, Diagnostic so something manual. Good enough. Like yes. that. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough. Basically, Look, it's a list of all of the diseases yes. and things out there. And every year they add one. You know, they added one yes. two years ago, which I love, which you can pin on kids. It's called ADS, Authority Defiance Syndrome. You like that one? Yep. You yep. know that one, do you? Say that I've probably had a bit of that throughout my life. Have you? That's why you're talking to us. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and how, um, right. Yeah, so they've taken Asperger's out now as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I talk all about the spectrum. But as we go on with the conversation, we've got plenty of time. We, we will explore what autism is because I think see a lot of people still think it's a made-up thing. You know, they think it's not real. Did you know that? Um, yeah, well, one of the last um, things I went to about it, um, Tony Atwood was saying that there's actually a physical difference in the brain. Mm. Um, amygdala omblogata is actually slightly bigger in people with autism. So mm. hopefully that research continues and we can actually prove that physically there is a difference. There's nothing like PET scans, are there, to highlight mm. differences. I like the way you pronounce medulla oblongata. Most people wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. But, sorry. But us, no, 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 don't be sorry. You know, they've got to be educated, educated, you know, the listeners. So it's a part of the brain, okay, listeners? It's not part of the big toe or the, or the ankle that's been injured. It's part of the brain, and it's a very important part of the brain. So where'd you go to high school? Um, oh, 
I started off at Santa Maria. <laughs> the Catholic school again. Yeah, so I used to send the teacher there nights asking whether I was allowed to wear my GPs. Um, wear your what? A general parade route. Right, all right. Get, 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 get rid of the acronyms. I know they're easy, but, you know, we're stupid here. We're listening. <laughs> Big black combat boots. That's what you wore. Steel caps? Uh, yeah, Steel that's caps? What I tried to wear. Steel caps? Yeah, yep. Good on you. Um, and I don't know, at the end, of, when I left that school, mm. I asked everyone to sort of sign a book for me, and they thanked me for keeping them sane. So, you know, I was obviously sitting there with, my yeah, big black boots on and my miniature on my desk mm-hmm. and um, putting my hand up before they started jumping around the room because I didn't really like it when they started jumping around the room because no one would answer their questions. So uh, I'd pause reading long enough to do you, that and then go back. Was it just that or people suddenly making noise and doing things was a little bit disconcerting for you? Don't like, yeah. I, I don't like it when people start jumping up and down and yelling. Yelling, it's so, annoying. <laughs> so there's no point in me taking you to the grand final, Louise. I was going to offer you a ticket. No. <laughs> I've just been facetious. I said, you know, if you don't like people jumping up and down, if you go to the AFL grand final at the end of September, you'd be a mess. Yeah, you can keep that for the neurotypicals. Neurotypicals, I like that. Could you explain what a neurotypical is for us? This sounds like a little bit of, uh, uh, how shall we put it, autism, autismism. Is that uh, what you call the rest of the society, neurotypicals? Yes. Yeah, so neurotypical is the normal on the um, washing machine. All right. So is this derogatory or are you just being nice? Can be both at different times. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it sounds derogatory to me. I mean, we've got we've got policies here at Three CR against racism, misogynism, you name it. But I think it's about time we introduced one about <laughs> neurotypicalism. <laughs> so people with autism or ADD, etc., are a neurodivergent. You're um, neurodivergent, all right? Yeah. yeah. So you and think people without any of those acronyms mm. uh, um Neurotypical. Oh, we're learning. So, we're normal and you're brilliant. Are you? No, no, we're normal and you're brilliant. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you're neurodivergent, it means that you can approach life in many different ways while we're, you know, we're one-track ponies. Um, surely they say that about people with autism, that they're one-track ponies. <laughs> Well, no, 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 no. What would you call call yourself neurodivergent? Because it means there's a lot of options. It's divergence. Divergent is different from the norm. Oh, so you diverge from the norm. So you're abnormal. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. You know what I'm wearing at the minute? Uh, In terms of shoes. Black combat boots with steel caps. <laughs> so, you got your red laces in? Nah, nah, I haven't kicked enough people to death yet. <laughs> You've got, you got to kick people to death before you get your red laces. Don't you understand the way right. it works if you're a you know, headbanger? 
I thought it was just a um, political statement. No, 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 no. You need blood on your boots before you can have red laces. That's the way it works. I've got to teach you everything. You, you know, you're neurodivergent people, you know, I thought you'd know. So what was high school? So after you got kicked out, sorry, after you left. <laughs> so after I left um, Santa Maria, I went to Alia College mm-hmm. for a little while. Right. Um, for some of year nine. And that was fantastic because we got to write our own curriculum. Right. Um, and I got to study philosophy and political philosophy and alternative religion. In, gra- in grade nine. Is this one of these horrible community schools, is it? Uh, yeah, probably something a little bit like that. Yeah, he, um, yeah. he, his kids were finishing up at Fitzroy Community School right. and he didn't have anywhere to send them to that he was happy with. So he started a um, school underneath a tree in someone's backyard. Sounds good. And then um, by the time I went there, it was being run out of a scout hall. Um, and the scout hall was still active, so we had to pack up the classrooms at the end of each day and then set them up again the next day. Um, Then we moved into a shop front, and now it's in this beautiful... um, Yeah, this beautiful old building with a spiral staircase that sort of has the Harry Potter-type feel with it to it and really inspired learning place. Mm. They're moving up in the world slowly. Mm, was it inspired learning for you? Was it inspired learning for me? In part, but I also got introduced to the city. Excuse me, you got introduced to the city. Look, this is this would be what two thousand something, would it, or the late nineties? Two thousand and one. Yeah, I mean, you know, the sex rock and roll era finished thirty years ago. So, what's been introduced to the city? Does that mean you got a job or something? Oh no! Just hanging around Flinders Street and the squats, oh. and hanging oh. around with goths and punks, and goths and punks. Which you, which you, do, which do you prefer? Um, I don't think I fit clearly into either. But you hang around with them. Why do you hang? Around, what do you think you were neurodivergent or something that you hang around with goths and punks outside <laughs> Flinders Street Station? What's going on here? This is a misspent youth. <laughs> God, don't tell me you discovered sex and all the other things that happened with puberty. Um, oh. You don't have to answer that question, all right? <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't go into that. You only were born in 1987. We've got to be careful. All right, so... Yeah, I was still a kid. Yeah, what, what, what did your parents think of all this? I don't really know. My mum had gone down Bairnsdale by that stage. Right, she had enough of you. Uh, I think she'd had enough of the city. Right. Um, and my dad had some weird liberal philosophy. A weird liberal philosophy. Mm. And you lived with dad, did you? Uh, I was supposed to. Uh, but you most of the time you were down at Flinders Street Station and Pretty the squats. Much. Yeah. All right, this sounds a kind of a difficult beginning for the new millennium. So how did you progress after that? Um, I went to Collingwood College for a little bit and left there when some of the much younger kids started picking on me because there was no way to deal with much younger kids picking on you. Um, 
then, gee, um, I went to Sydney Rose Community School. That was a good one again. Right. Um, and then I had a son by the... Uh, yeah, I had a son when I was 18. Right. And he's a young man now, isn't he? Yeah, he's just been offered his first job. Oh, that's excellent. So, yeah, he's going to be co-creating um, youth programs with Arts Access Victoria, which is fantastic. Well, it means, means he's uh, not like his mum, who's neurodivergent. He's kind of got his eye on the ball, has he? No, no. He doesn't have his eye on the ball. Had a bit more support through his life. You're taking credit for that, aren't you? I am. No, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, you should. You should take credit. I mean, you had a son at eighteen. Uh, you. Uh, yeah. So when did you? Did people start? When did you start putting labels on yourself like autistic? Uh, diagnosis in the past month. In the past month. Yeah, so it's still a big thing for me to come to grips with that and. Figure out just how I relate to it. Um, right. I've got my first autistic arts project coming up in Melbourne Fringe Festival, so right. yeah, so it's a bit of an so, 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 exploratory thing at the moment. So, who made the diagnosis? The fact that the, you've, you've got this label, which is now kind of explained a lot of things to you. Was it? Was it? Uh, how was the diagnosis made? Um, it's a two-hour a two-hour interview. Mm-hmm. Um, just going through um, various bits of your life and paying them a thousand dollars or more. Um, <laughs> it's not rebatable. Which, you know, neurodivergent people totally have access to that, considering we're one of the most underemployed populations out there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, what makes? It's a bit personal. You don't have to answer it, but yeah. what makes what? What do you think makes you neurodivergent? What makes me neurodivergent? Mm-hmm. No, 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 what causes it, but uh, the way you interact with your kids, com- other people, community, how are you different to anybody else? So uh, a boring person like me. Hang back. Um, I'm cautious to get into stuff. Mm. Um, I... I have difficulties with communicating and sometimes social situations get overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. But also I see through a lot of the crap. I won't bother with small talk. Right. Um, All right. And, yeah, I see, I see different paths and different opportunities and I take them and anyone who wants to come along for the ride is welcome. <laughs> right. So doing a phone interview... It's a much easier proposition than you being in the studio and me looking you in the eye. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely, yes. Right. Yes. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So what did you do after having a child at 18? I mean, you're not employable, are you? No, no. So I um, I hung it, Well, no, I was sent off to Bendigo to have him. Um, right. And then I returned to Melbourne when I was... He was about 10 months old. Right. Um, my nan was a fantastic support. Um, right. Basically co-parenting him whilst she was in a 
60s or 70s, mm-hmm. 70s, I think. Right. Um, and then I um, hung around Melbourne for a little while, and um, when he was about four, we ended up going off travelling Australia, homeschooling, um, settling in Nimbin <laughs> for a couple of years. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did he do this or did you tag along with him? The way you're talking is if this four-year-old went off going around Australia and settling in Nimbin. I assume you kind of went around for the ride, did you? Yeah, yeah, he was totally in control of it at all, no. Right. Um, He came along with me. Right. Why Nimbin? Why Nimbin? Um, So we actually settled in Grafton. Yep. Um, And now I know why you went to Nimbin. You don't have to explain anything. might be a different reason to why you think. Um, So, yeah, we settled in Grafton and um, I sent him to the infant's campus of a thousand kids. Right. Um, And his teacher took me aside one day. He'd homeschooled his own kids um, whilst on teacher's placement in far west New South Wales. Um, And he just said, look, you're going to be better off taking him home and homeschooling him. So I took him out and I sort of was seeking um, community engagement for him, you know, a group Mm -hmm. of other kids that he could be a part of. Um, And I wasn't really finding that in Grafton. I was finding um, a lot of kids would go to school, go home, watch TV. Mm -hmm. And whereas Nimbin had kids that were homeschooled and out of... you know, doing interesting things, and he could get involved with them there. And so we moved to Nimbin. Uh, what was it? A rental property, or did you go into a communal property, or? Oh no, I rented off um, the French teacher there. Right, and you lasted for a few years. And after that, uh, after that, we came back down to Melbourne and mm-hmm. lived in a squat for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, a caravan in the driveway of a squat. Um, and then we went back up to Tabulum, which is a tiny town of about 60 people. Um, and then down to Leeton. Um, and I ran a social history program there. A what so, history? A what history program? Social history, so recording senior stories. So is it worthwhile? Instead of you oh, interviewing yeah. me, I'd be interviewing you. Yeah, well, I'm an old person, you know. What's the point yeah. of interviewing me? You know. Oh well, you've got more stories to tell. Yeah, but I could be lying. Well, that's what old people do, right. you know. We lie about things. You see, I actually interviewed one woman, mm-hmm. and I was there for two hours, and she was talking nonstop and had these amazing stories. But I was like, how can one person fit all of these amazing stories into one life? That's right. And then I Googled her, and sure enough, it was all true. It was all true. Uh, well, some people some people do have amazing lives, but you're not talking to somebody who's had an amazing life. I'm talking to you. You've had an amazing life. How difficult was it homeschooling your son as you wandered the, wandered the planet? Um, well, I suppose that's one of the things that I'm working on at the moment um, because it is difficult to get to a town and to immediately start teaching about that town without first learning about that town. And I believe a lot in place-based education. I believe we can learn a lot by being in places and interacting with communities there. But how do you take that first step 
into a town and learn about it all whilst mm. simultaneously teaching it. Aren't people in small town notoriously suspicious about blow-ins like you? Oh, yeah. And so how do you overcome that suspicion? Um, I don't know. Like, Denali, um, when I moved there, was quite anti-art because of um, the mosaics that have just been put in their heritage street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm currently working on Denali Women's Historical Art Trail. Um, and I'm working with the Historical Society, so I think that's an important step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also going, look, this isn't actually going to impact your streetscape. It's an augmented reality project, so if you don't want to see it, you don't have to see it, and we're not going to put QR codes everywhere. Um, it's just based on GPS, so if you're in the right location and your phone's on that website, you can see the artwork. This so sounds, I this, think this, it's about giving uh, them the choice. Yeah, this sounds like historical Pokemon. Yes, very much so. <laughs> So what, 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 and how many of these have you done? How many of these historical walks have you done? Um, and it's pretty exciting. And, and mm. it's, it's really awesome, I think, to be able to bring these women's stories to life because otherwise they weren't recorded, they weren't even allowed to call themselves by their own names because they were women. They'd lose their jobs. Well, that's right. And they'd also, um, it's, it's a... Uh, Mrs. John Smith. That's it, yeah. yeah. Not, not, you know, not Jacqueline Smith, but Mrs. John Smith. Yeah. And if you're in the public service or a teacher, you got married. That was it? Is that the stories you're hearing? Um, so we've got um, the woman that I'm just creating an animation about today is Waif Wanda. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, Waif Wanda someone who called themselves that in the 1860s is going to resonate with me. Um, right. But, 1860s, um, okay, all right. Good. Yeah. She, um, she pioneered, she was the first person in the world to write um, detective novels incl- from the detective's perspective and include real-life um, real details of cases in her writing. Right. So... That means that, like, what we watch on TV now, NCIS and all that sort of stuff, that was pioneered by Sarah, and she's one of Australia's most prolific writers. But it wasn't until the 80s that we actually found out who she was and her name was revealed mm. because she couldn't write under her own name. So do you, in these um, histories you, you you create, not create, but bring back to life, you recreate, yep. you recreate it for yep. us, Um is this all on a volunteer basis, or do you get... Um, no. No. So how, how does it work? Um, so currently I'm funded by um, a Cultural Tourism Accelerator Experience Grant. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> You've taught me a lot of things, but even I'm I'm flabbergasted. I've been around a long time. Cultural? So what is that, a cultural? Cultural Tourism Accelerator. So basically that's you know, COVID really shut down the state, um, which had some really bad effects for some of our regional towns and a lot of businesses have closed. Um, So that money is about pumping tourism back out into these towns. And so if you can Um, find interesting stories, people will come. Yeah, that's regional arts Victoria. Mm. Um, And then, of course, community 
Bank, Molden and District, which otherwise known as Bendigo Bank, are keen to support anything in their local area. So they've um, pitched in a little bit too. Are you still there? They pitched in. That's all right. So you're making a buck out of it and doing something yep. creative at the same time. Yep. Tell me the most extraordinary character you've recreated in your life as a historian. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm only in a budding practice. I've had two kids since the time I was 18. With, well, you've got, you got three now or 11 two? 11-year age gap. Yeah, yeah. And... So my oldest is 17 and my youngest is five. Right. But you, you've, so that hasn't left a lot of time for my professional career. But it has because you're, you're recreating. I'm just saying, which person you've rediscovered for us because you're doing this for the community um, that you think so, is the most fascinating? Yeah, I mean, I love Waif Wanda. Mm-hmm. Um, Eliza Ellen Russell. Um, I know the Australian flag is out at the moment. It's a bit taboo. But, um, no, 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 it's not taboo. Nothing's taboo on Radical Australia. Eliza Allen Russell is the woman that sewed the first Australian flag. Mm. And outside of Denali Museum, she isn't mentioned anywhere. You're kidding. Um, so I think having a young Wiradjuri artist, uh, Kira Long, um, who's a Year 12 student, memorialise her through artwork, um, and hopefully I'll get to write a children's book about her, which will do a similar thing to what Maid have done with um, the night they sewed the flag about the Eureka flag. Yes. Um, we'll just put women back, well, mm. put women into the history books for the first time because they've been completely left out. Yes, but I think the story about the Eureka flag, flag is a very well-known one. Have you actually seen the Eureka flag at the Ballarat? Um, yes. You yes. have. And uh, what's yes. the striking thing when you look at it? That's very dark in the room. <laughs> well, it is very dark, but that highlights the flag. But what's the striking thing that you look at, and you cannot believe it when you get when you get the story? Well, they had to do it very quickly overnight, because the yeah. monster meeting was going to be, I think, it was the twenty ninth of November when they hauled up the Eureka flag for the first time in eighteen fifty four. Yeah. So material was short. So what was the flag made out of women's yes. petticoats. Okay, yeah, right. Because in those so days, if you look at shine a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, and if you in those days, if you actually look at the way women were dressed, were well, they expected to be dressed with their little bustles at the back? They had yes. an extraordinary number of petticoats. So I'm sure they could have donated a few, and nobody would have noticed any difference. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't get to read the plaques and things like that. No, that's not on the plaque. No, that's not on the plaque. That's historical. That's historical analysis. That's not on the plaque. I won't tell you that. It's not a good thing to have an important flag to be made out of women's petticoats, is it? Yeah. Children. Hmm. Not good for kiddies, is it? Women's petticoats, the Eureka flag. No, but I I just think you're quite right. There's there's, there's, there's fascinating stories. I mean, I I love history too, and I love history because I think it's the gateway to the future because if you don't know your history, nothing's ever going to change. So I'm... That was nature, wasn't it? For those that don't know, their history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I repeat it every day when I wake up. I forget what's happened the day before. But um, getting back to you, 
So what's life like for a... Are you a single mother or do you have a partner? Uh, a sole parent. Sole parent. So what's like... How hard is life like for a sole parent who's basically moving around all the time with uh, two kids and one of them a teenager? now lives in Melbourne. Right. Um, oh, I don't know. We're in the rental at the moment, so that's a bit too easy. Um, I'm looking for a bus and hoping to move back out grid, back out off grid pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like the cotton wool ball life. Um, but, um, and I, I think NDIS helps immensely because otherwise I wouldn't be able to to you right now, my son's right. worker is in the next room helping out. So, if you didn't, um, if you didn't have a diagnosis of uh, autism till a month ago, how come NDIS is involved? Uh, because my son's also got autism. Both of my sons also got autism. And and how does that affect them? Is it affect them in the same way as yourself, or is it a different? Um, uh, they have different uh, experiences. Oh, look, my oldest is probably somewhat like I was at the time. He's very deeply philosophical and a wandering mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not facing the same issues in life that I did. No. Um, my youngest, uh, he loves to repaint his, uh, his toys into whatever he wants them to be. Um, he's very stubborn-minded and very creative. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's very surprising in many ways, um, and it's, uh, it's just not very comparable at all. Yeah. Right. So what was life like for you before NDIS? How difficult was it? Um, yeah, so we were travelling around. Um, I was working for... Regional Arts Victoria as a creative worker in schools last year and I was basically homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a tiny house which was 11 square metres on my block um, which isn't big enough to live in. No, not um, with two kids. And then my four-wheel drive camper van. Um, so we'd be going over from central Victoria where I was working. We'd be racing over to Phillip Island um, in between my day with work each week so mm. that we could stay at my mum's beach shack and have a shower and do all of those things. And it was tiring. It really was. Very tiring. And do, do your sons have much interaction with your parents or their uh, father's parents? Um, yeah, so, I mean, my oldest son's grandparents are fantastic. Mm. Um and my youngest son really misses out. Right. Yeah, it's very... Look, I don't think people realise how difficult it is, especially as a sole parent, um, having to look after two children with various uh, aspects of uh, autism and basically being homeless, not by you know, by design, but because of the situation and how difficult it is to make ends meet, irrespective of whether you've got a little job or not. So yeah, well, I mean, in a way, it's been by design, um, but 
my builder is just a pain in the neck. He won't get the job done. Oh, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my aim was to get off the grid and get my little cabin on my little block of land for, you know, right. under 50 grand and get that all done. It's just gone skew because I've got a builder that's a rat bag. <laughs> That's all right. You've got to build. A lot of people don't even have a builder. They go bankrupt, and that's the end of that at the minute. So hopefully yours well, doesn't I? go. Hopefully yours doesn't go bankrupt. Oh, my builder, yeah, so that'll be his plan. <laughs> yeah. now, now, getting back to you, got any plans regarding future historical adventures? Yeah. So at the moment, I've got grant applications in with Creative Victoria and Regional Arts Victoria to hopefully. Um, create a platform so that communities around Victoria and eventually Australia and the world can start creating these adventures either with me or on their own. Um, I'm hoping to release a no-code platform for augmented reality and geolocated adventures. So that will be awesome. Um, Louise? funding for that. What, yeah. um, so just to clarify... Um, yep. What um, medium do you work in in terms of media in representing these stories or in, in general the, the creative work that you do? So it can be any media really. Um, so um, I suppose the main media is GPS geolocation. Um, <clears throat> but and people read that on their phone as they go around? Um. Well, I'm doing animation at the moment. A lot of the young um, artists that have been part of my current project have just done still drawings or digital artworks. Um, And I've got one more established artist that's done an animation um, that's a fine art photo. Um, But it can also be music, you know. Um, Yeah, I was wondering if there's any audio in there because, you know, we're on the radio, so... (laughs) Hopefully um, people will be able to, you know, like a singer-songwriter can sit underneath a tree and write a song and record it and then someone else can come past that tree, sit down and listen to the song that this person has sat there and been inspired to write. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. It's a bit futuristic, it's isn't any, it? Any media. Yeah. A bit futuristic. I mean, you know, what's, what's this kind of, I like to feel, touch, smell the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, look, you know, just, just call me an old fuddy-duddy. That, that's fine. I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it addresses that issue of getting to a town and not having immediate access. If it's something that's across the whole state, then you know it's going to be there. Mm. And mm. you can just walk in with your phone and it's there. And even if they lock down the whole state again... Um, you can still go out in your own towns and see these stories and experience these artworks without having to go into a venue. Right. So have you got any of them up and running currently? Uh, No. So um, the Denali Women's Historical Art Trail, um, schools get a preview on the 15th of September. Right. um, And then it's launched to the public with a free high tea. Um, ooh, on the ooh, 17th hang on. of September. High tea in Denali. We should go to that, Joe. Yeah. What day, is, <laughs> what day is the 17th? It's Saturday. What's mm. the date? 17th. 
of yep. September, obviously. September the 17th. Yeah, it can't be August. Oh, no, that's We've right. It could 17th. be October. No, no, it's going to be the 17th. We've got... We've got a busy social life. You're, you're booking me in all this stuff. I'm not used to this. In Denali. Denali. Yep. Where's that? Uh, it's about 40 minutes west of Bendigo. It's not far. Hmm. It's good. It's that good. sounds good. Good little place. How do we find out more information? How could listeners find out more info? So we've got the Facebook group, Women's History of the Central Goldfields. Women's History of the Central Goldfields. Mm-hmm. And do you feature in it because you fell into one of those pits? I was being facetious. I said, do you f- are you featuring in the historical uh, analysis because you fell into a pit and injured your ankle? Oh, I'm just an artist. You're just the artist, all right. Yeah. You just create the platform in the media. Yeah, it's all about women that lived there um, during the 1850s to right. uh, about 1900 Federation. So if you ever get this house built on this little block... Do you, yep. do, you inst- do you intend to stay put or are you going to keep uh, wandering? To be honest, it's not much more than a side office. Um, so I'm pretty keen to buy a bus. You're keen to buy a bus. Well, you could sell that block and get a bus. But but you know anything about driving a bus? No. It's not easy. No, I've, got, I've got support workers for that, right? No, you haven't. If you're driving a bus, you're driving a bus. Well, they're going to drive you around Australia. Doesn't work that way. And do you know how to repair a bus? No. You know how hard it is to get parts for a bus? I've had I've fr- Stop dis- dissuading Louise. No, 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 That's no, what she no. wants to do. No, I'm being realistic. Louise, I, go for I've, it. I have had friends who've gone on the You're bus. You're just jealous no, because you're no, not going to do no, it. No, I've had friends. Kelly's been trying to get me on the radio for years to talk about my location, independent lifestyle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now... Louise, somebody, I think it was Kelly here, sent me a photo of you and your son at a Eureka event. Is that is that really you, Louise Cooper? Yeah, so that's the 160, 160th or 161st Eureka. Right, 160th most likely, yeah. Uh, so that was your 17-year-old son as a kind of a, uh, what, a yeah, seven-year-old yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah, he was the youngest one there, so you got him up to read the digger That's right. I, I'm that type of bloke, you know. I'm, I abuse children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully didn't send him back. No, I think I remember him quite clearly. He was quite excited about the whole event. He was a little bit surprised, but he was quite excited. Because what we do usually when we get to the uh, Bakery Hill, we get the youngest member of the uh, group there who can talk because we've had babies. Yep. We can't put babies up there. And they, and they <laughs> recite the Eureka Rafe and we recite recited after them in order to ensure the Eureka uh, legend continues to be remembered long after you and I are gone, Louise. So what are your plans for the next um, few years? Um, Hopefully to get this platform up and running, Mm -hmm. um, to start some autistic um, community arts events. Um, So I've got an autistic fashion game in Melbourne Fringe Festival um, that I hope people on the spectrum will... Um, contribute to. Right. And, and um, that'll be real. It won't be virtual. Uh, it'll game. Right. right. Um, yeah. Getting me into Melbourne is hard. It's a bit too busy for me down there. Well, we'll just have to break your other ankle. It's simple. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have you. He'll be a prisoner. He'll be like those women, the Chinese women, had their feet bound. You know, the, you know, 
we'll keep you here. We'll work out something, uh, Louise. I'll organise uh, somebody to come down and just uh, ensure that you stay here. Put those red laces in your boots. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, look, um, you know, there is a name for people like you, and, and that name is Intangible Cultural Asset. You just can't quite define it, but you are a cultural asset in this country. And uh, in South Korea, which I've visited a number of times, they actually have a program where people who are skilled in various artistic endeavours, you know, like ceramics or making a sword or something, uh, are designated as intangible cultural assets. And what that means is they get a pension so that they can actually perfect their art form for the rest of their lives. How would you well, like that? That was one of the... Um, oh, jeez, I don't follow politics a lot, but that was one of the things that one of the groups was bandying about, wasn't it? Oh, I don't think we'd have that imagination in Australia, but uh, there was a lot of intangible yeah. cultural assets and uh, you need to be supported financially so you can, yeah. go about, so you can go about your creativity. I mean... There's concepts like a universal basic income, but this is different yeah. to that. This is actually picking an artist's income. Yeah, it's an artist's income to allow them to actually contribute to society without worrying about the everyday financial. Yeah. Well, when restraints. I'm applying for a grant, mm. I'm actually spending more time applying for it That's than right. I am working on it. That's exactly right. It's, it's becoming and an industry. all that application time is volunteering. That's right. So more than half my time is volunteering. Well, that's right. It's become a kind of a uh, never-ending circle that gets you nowhere. And uh, yeah. as I said, we need to leave. Thank you for sharing your story with us. We hope you and your sons do very well in life, and I'm sure for mother like you they will. And all I can say is you are an intangible cultural asset, and I uh, honour you for what you're doing and hopefully you'll be able to continue doing this, this type of work for many decades to come. Thank you, Thanks. Louise Cooper. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Louise. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.